Hello everyone, it's Jay. Before we get started, I need to make an apology. Not to you, the great members of the JLUC Club, but to a specific member, or, more accurately, someone who should have been an original member of the JLUC Club 20 years ago. And I wanted this to be public. This apology is directed towards Matt Dillon. Yes, that Matt Dillon, the drugstore cowboy actor. Matt, never put your hat on a bed because it's bad luck, Dillon. Matt Dillon, the outsider actor who was fortunate enough to be an insider with Ralph the Karate Kid Machio, Rob St. Elmo's Fire Low, Patrick No One Puts Baby in a Corner Swayze, Tom Jump on Oprah's Couch Cruise, C Soul Man Thomas Red Don Howell, Emilio Don't Lump Me In with My Brother Charlie Estevez, Sophia Yes She Was in That Movie Too Coppola, and Flea Yes, the bassist from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and not only was he in The Outsiders, he was Soch number three, not a greaser. But wait, I forgot. This isn't an episode about the amazing casting for Essie Hinton movie adaptations. Essie Hinton, who played the nurse that Matt Dillon's character interacted with at the end of the movie? But do you know who Matt Dillon was not on the inside with? And no, I'm not talking about Nicholas. Yes, I actually married Elvis's daughter, Cage, who auditioned for the movie, didn't get the part he wanted, and when offered the part of 2-Bit, walked away in a huff. Okay, seriously, stay tuned for a new podcast series from Honey Roasted T-Shirts about movie roles and off-screen actor drama. Back to my apology. Matt Dillon is not only an outsider in the sense of his film role, but he's also an outsider, well, of the original J-Luck Club. And for that, I am filled with deep regret, and I want to offer my humble and heartfelt apology. Twenty years ago, I was in Laos, in the town of Luang Prabang. Matt, I can call him that, we go back twenty years after all, was filming a movie in Cambodia and had popped over to Laos for a bit of a visit. During my few days in Luang Prabang, every other traveler I met had run into Matt Dillon at some point. Oh, he was on my plane, two rows in front of me. Really nice guy, the girl from Sweden said. Oh yeah, he was at the restaurant last night. We were joking, taking pictures, having a great time said the British couple whom I'd befriended and explored various points of interest. Oh yeah, I was with him about 30 minutes ago. He was walking around town. Really great guy, said the Canadian bloke with whom I was exploring a market. It seemed every traveler I had met had been generous with their time and had given a bit of it to the lonely actor, whereas I was just so selfish, so self-absorbed, and just into my own stuff. I don't really have any good reason for why I snubbed Matt all those years ago. I guess I was just so focused on my own surroundings, getting lost and being present. Laos wholly consumed me. I mean, I went to this amazing waterfall, which I'll tell you about in my email. Plus, I was on the final stretch of my trip, so I don't know, I figured it would just happen. I figured Matt would get a chance to meet me at some point, and I didn't need to plan for it. Oh, who am I kidding? Those are just excuses. I mean, you make time for the things that are important. I should have prioritized it, but I didn't. Still looking back all these years, it didn't occur to me how I'd shut him out. I mean, by every right, Matt Dillon should have been an original member of the j Club. So, Matt, Mr. Dillon, I want to declare here in front of the entire membership of the j Club, I am truly sorry and I ask that you'll forgive me. I would also like to formally extend this invitation to be a member in great standing of the j Club. Now, let's get on with the show.
Welcome back to all of you, including Matt Dillon. No, especially Matt Dillon. Great members of the J Luck Club, presented as always by Honey Roasted T-shirts. Have you been to HoneyRoastedT-shirts.com? You can get all the episodes, some pictures, and some extras that I post, as well as read copies of the original emails. And you can pick up some J Luck Club podcast souvenirs at the Honey Roasted T-shirt store. Stickers, magnets, postcards, pins, or get it all in the member welcome kit. No t-shirts, because Honey Roasted t-shirts doesn't make them. But if they did, you know they'd be Honey Roasted. The story of my trip is almost over, so pick up some souvenirs to remember our journey together and to support this project. Also, sign up on the mailing list and follow Honey Roasted t-shirts and the j Club podcast on Instagram so we can keep in touch. But no purchases necessary for membership in the j Club. Other ways to show your support? Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But also, tell your friends and family. Leave a review. It really helps. When we last left off, I had left Indonesia after two incredible months. I love Indonesia. Episode 16. Check it out. I had made it back to Malaysia, and though I was hoping to ride the rails again, I had to settle for a bus back to Bangkok. But as always, why not let the J of 20 years ago fill you in? I take you now to an internet cafe in Bangkok, Thailand. Date, Friday, May 4th, 2001. From Jay Schneider. Subject, here I am. Rock you like a hurricane. Hey, hey, hey! Sorry, I was just at a restaurant the other day which played Scorpion's Greatest Hits, and I just can't shake the tune. Before we begin, I would like to talk about the length of my last update. Most of you, I'm sure, prized each and every word, savoring all the 20-something kilobytes, and were so engrossed and absorbed in my wacky, heroic, inspiring adventures that upon reading the end, immediately stood up and cried out, More, Jay, more! Tell me more! much to your own embarrassment if in the workplace at the time of your outburst. However, a few of you were cheeky enough to make snide comments about it. Those of you who had to pay dearly for your internet time, sorry, Ava, I apologize. The others, I suspect, were fueled by envy and jealousy. No apologies there, as I'm thankful I could write so much about two months of my life, and I pray I never reach a point in my life where I can't write more than a few words about how things are going. Enough scolding. In my last few weeks, I celebrated my fourth new year in as many months, and also made some serious decisions, which may affect some of you. But before I get to that, I'm sure my long stream of consciousness rambling emails have nothing to do with my inability to keep on track. I have a bit of a confession to make. I did something a while back of which I'm not too proud. I thought about filling out a job application for a position back home. I didn't actually do it, though. I didn't go through with it, mind you. But the thought is as much of a sin as the deed. Fret not, my dear readers, my lapse in judgment had nothing to do with me becoming responsible about my future. I chalk it up to having nothing better to do, the devil finding work for idle hands and all that. I had some time to kill in an internet cafe, the hour had already been paid for, I'd caught up on my fan mail, and I just got to surfing around. Out of curiosity, I happened across some job listings. It put evil thoughts about careers, job skills, experience, and whatnot in my mind, which I quickly squashed, clicking my way over to the Survivor homepage and catching up on what's going on in the outback. 
But my time on the internet was not all bad. As many people do on such extended journeys, I dabbled in my own self-examination, and I did a bit of searching for myself. In fact, I typed in Jay Schneider into the search engine and came up with some interesting, if not frightening, results. For example, Jay Schneider of MSAM Games writes, Games and gaming have always been a part of my life. I started playing chess at five, played my first tournament at eight, and was the highest-rated elementary player in the United States. He also enjoys playing the game Magic the Gathering and is apparently famous for designing a deck called the Schneider Pox. I don't know how I feel about the existence of such a thing. And then there's the page that begins by answering the question I've been asking myself all these years. Who is Jay Schneider? Well, the answer I found, Jay Schneider is an evangelist committed to the idea that the word of God holds the key to any true change of heart and life. And yes, I have been writing Reverend Preacher and Internet Evangelist as my profession on all my various visa forms and entry exit cards this past month. And now, on with the show. Finally. Having it in me to ride a Thai train again, and unable to do so for my Malaysia-Bangkok leg, I was more determined than ever to ride the rails to Chiang Mai, and went to reserve my ticket days in advance. But it happened to be nearing the Thai New Year, and I was disappointed to find all the sleeper berths were totally booked up for days to come. That is, until I asked about first class. And so it was that I rode to the northern Thailand city in style, even receiving a complimentary Thai State Rail coffee mug. Nothing but the best for this kid. Though I want to make it clear that if any of you reading this should happen to receive such a mug from me as a token of my affection, that particular gift is a precious item sought out and thoughtfully selected and given with all my heart. Ooh, hang on, it's 6 p.m., the Thai National Anthem. Gotta stand. Okay, I'm back. In Chiang Mai, I made my way to the thoughtfully named Chiang Mai Guest House. As most guest houses in the area, mine offered jungle treks. In fact, that's how they make their money, so there's a bit of pressure. And not being too keen on this type of package deal, I spent much of my morning politely refusing to sign on for the trek leaving the next day. Look, for the last time, I don't want to go on your damn trek. Already in town were Justin and Dan, two Americans I'd met in Nepal and with whom I'd hoped to cross paths again. Though I came to Chiang Mai in style, my digs at the Chiang Mai guest house couldn't compare to the place at which Justin and Dan stayed. A little background. Justin lived in Chiang Mai for three months studying Thai kickboxing, and since that time it frequently passed through his old stomping, or kicking, grounds for a few weeks at a time. Consequently, he's found a great top-end place with very reasonable rates, particularly when staying long-term. After waking up the boys and catching up on the previous months, Dan and Justin were confirming with each other about the hazy events of the previous evening. Outside a local disco, a slight scuffle with a local, which continued even after the participants were on fast-moving motorcycles, man, I always miss the good stuff. While I was captivated with the cable TV, air conditioning, cable TV, kitchenette, cable TV, large bed, and cable TV, Oh, they also had cable TV, and I was content to spend hours catching up on my MTV. I finally got to put faces to names with all those boy bands I'd been hearing all night, every night in Bangkok. Finally, I was dragged out of the room and up to the rooftop pool, which commanded great views of the city. If you haven't figured it out by now, it's not too shabby a place. But it's not just to impress me that the boys live so well in Chiang Mai. It's actually a very reasonable deal, and since their big trip, as they dubbed it, is a rather lengthy one, it helps to have a base to come back to, get recharged before going out again. Why I've chosen disgusting shoebox rooms in Bangkok to do this, I still haven't figured out. Also, Justin's taking advantage of the setting to study for the LSAT. 
and Dan plans to return in September specifically for that same purpose. That afternoon, Dan was going to see what deals he could find at other hotels for his return visit. I, on the other hand, planned to go out and see if there were any tests I could study for, giving me an excuse to stay at such a place. I bet if I chose a really hard entrance exam, I could justify a good year or so in this place. Anywho, in talking with Dan and Justin, they convinced me that the trek wasn't such a bad idea and they'd quite enjoyed their own trips. Since these were the guys who convinced me to shave my head and have needles rammed through my ears back in Nepal, ears pierced in Kathmandu? What were we thinking? I was sold. So back at the Chiang Mai guest house, I sheepishly asked about the possibility if there was any way I, I or could, I mean, uh, per perhaps am I getting in on that damned trek that I earlier had no interest in? Signing my name on the sheet, I noticed just about all the other trekkers were women and immediately began to think this wasn't such a bad idea after all. The trek is a bit of a sampler made for tourists, involving some jungle trekking, elephant riding, and bamboo raft downriver, and staying with local hill tribe villages. I initially had been turned off, knowing that if I wanted to do some serious jungle trekking, I'd need to go further out, and the staying with the hill tribe family would in no way compare with my times in Cambodia or Nepal. Also, I'd done the whole ride an elephant through a jungle thing before the first time in Thailand, and apart from it being like a glorified pony ride at a fair, and really, I don't know how well the animals are treated, it's just not a very comfortable ride. As it turns out, the trek was good fun. This was all due to the other members of the trek who were really great people, and I'm not just saying that because they're being sent the same message. We had a good laugh, laughing with each other if not at each other, and I was reminded that part of what I enjoy so much about travel is meeting my fellow travelers. Funny that meeting fellow travelers can also be what I hate so much about travel, but there you go. The jungle trekking wasn't much, but it was nice to hike around a bit. The elephant ride wasn't nearly as bad as I remembered, and, and though I felt more an intruder and paying customer than a guest in the village homestays, the bamboo rafting ride was good wet fun. After we returned to Chiang Mai, we all spent time together until we each went on our separate ways. I feel lucky to have met them and hope we keep in touch, perhaps someday to meet again. And I'm not just saying that in hopes of a free place to stay in London, New Zealand, or wherever. Happily chatting and getting to know each other in the back of a truck on the way to begin our trekking experience, none of us knew what hit us, literally for a moment or two, when the first bucket of water smacked us. We had just been introduced to Songkran. Songkran is the Thai New Year, during which worshippers bathe Buddha images with water. They also bless each other, sprinkling or pouring water over each other. At least that's the theory. In reality, it's the biggest and greatest, assuming you're a willing participant, water fight in the world. For three days, officially, but some rogues are at it for a full week, from dusk till dawn, Chiang Mai was pure and utter, wet and wild insanity. Cruising pickup trucks loaded with water warriors armed with buckets and super soakers packed the streets around the moat. Foot soldiers held their ground on the sidewalks, drenching any car, truck, motorcycle, bicycle, and pedestrian passing by. No one immune, no one safe. Everyone wet and soaked to the bone. Everyone is fair game. The armed, the unarmed, the old, the young, the wet, the dry, even the truck full of monks. Fathers and mothers carefully instructed their children how to take aim and wallop the silly tourists. That older innocent woman approaching with the bucket? Mistake to let my guard down. She got me. She got me good. Sneak down the alleyways and less crowded streets? Those in ambush hit you harder because they get fewer targets. Empty gun in hand, run into a phone booth for protection from that approaching truck? Too late. I was spotted. 
The truck stopped, the booth door was opened, and a bucket gently poured over my head, female attacker smiling all the while. No matter how wet you get, how many times you've been hit, you never get used to the buckets of ice water, which were far greater in number than I would have liked. And while the water pulled directly from the moat was warmer, you never felt totally at ease with the purity of its content. And through all this, there was nothing malicious about it. Smiles were always in fashion, except for the unsuspecting tourists who had hoped to actually sightsee and keep their cameras and valuables dry. I think if I let loose with a water gun on a total stranger back home, he or she may return the favor with a real gun. But there you go. Anyway, it's the coolest water fight in the world. Songkran officially over and finally dried out, I made the decision to move on. I smiled as we passed through the villages and the children still at it, splashing every car that passed through. I laughed at the fun I'd had and even more that I was dry inside a closed vehicle. A vehicle which brings us, or at least it brought me, to Laos. Apologies for interrupting. Uh, this is present day, Jay. I forgot to tell you, I talked to Dan and Justin about all this. After India, where did you guys go? Let's see, we went back to Thailand, I believe. Yeah, we sure did. Uh, Chiang Mai was always the home base. So from so is Chiang Mai. I'll, I'll just tell you uh, my, and maybe then Dan could tell you his. Uh, this and almost two years, really. Um, I started in Chiang Mai. Then Dan and I went together to uh, uh, Nepal with that same night in Bangladesh through Biman, Bangladesh that you had. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly six weeks in Nepal and about, I think, two and a half months, 10 weeks in India, if I remember correctly, including yeah. um, New Year's there in Goa. And then back to Thailand where kind of get the R&R &R and, you know, the little bit of my Muay Thai. And... Well, and that's where Justin and I first split up for the first time. Yeah. I went south after Bangkok and I did my diving certificate stuff down in Koh Tao for a couple of weeks. And Justin, you might have gone north. Yeah, I went back to Chiang Mai so I could, um, I had kind of a girlfriend back there and I and, uh, had some friends back there and I was doing my Muay Thai. It was kind of really my home base. Like, okay, I'm back. Right. I'm back in my home away from home. We did reunite in Bangkok in order to go to Cambodia though. Yeah, that's right. And we took, I, Jay, I was listening to your uh, rendition of the bus trip across that uh, <laughs> and, and we had something pretty similar as I recall. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, or I met up with you guys again up in Chiang Mai. And I remember you guys were already up there because, again, that was your home base uh, where you're going to be for a while. And yeah. I knew you guys were up there, and it was gonna, it was Songkran. Yeah. And so I was excited to get up there, but like all the trains were like full. It's a holiday, so everything's... And I'm like, ah, oh, bummer, and now the trains are full. And then I remember pausing, going like, what's a first-class ticket cost? But yeah, so I actually rode oh, yeah. first, in a first-class all the way up there because like, boom, I want to get up there. But yeah, so then that's when we met up again in Chiang Mai. Man, Songkran, that biggest, best water fight in the world in Chiang Mai, that was yeah. just awesome. That was epic. I love that day. Yeah. That that day was the last day of Songkran, I, I think, because I wrote in my journal that it was the last day of Songkran. <laughs> and I also wrote, Jay Schneider will come to Hillside. That was our hotel. In a few minutes. Hillside Condotel 4. Condotel, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And we'll all, we'll all head in Peren, and I don't remember this, Justin, together with Justin's allegedly broken wrist. I guess you. Oh yeah, I banged up uh, Muay Thai. Some guy gave me a good proper kick in the ribs, and uh, I went to the hospital um, for that and a couple other things. And uh, you know, it's kind of one of those suck it up things. I'm like, eh, it's not technically broken. It feels like it is. And... I guess I was skeptical, but I wrote, "We'll all head with your rib to Top Eight Gate and the center of the action after a stint in the pool," which is exactly what we did. <laughs> we did not lie. You're yeah, that's exactly what we did. Yeah, because I remember. 
uh, meeting up with you guys. And yes, you were in that condo tell, a hotel condo kind of thing. Because again, you were there for a while. So it was a great place to camp out. It really was. Curtains on the bed for like five bucks a night. That's that's the thing. And I think a lot of times when you're traveling these places, you can really get a good setup if if you want. Um, and Dan, were you stu- was that when you were studying for the LSAT or were you both doing that or, or was that a plan for later? That came a little later. So this would have been, what, April when there was Songkran? And I came back up to Chiang Mai probably four months later. And that, that's when I studied for the LSAT. Oh, that's right. I think you, I remember one day, I think you were looking around, looking for other places you might, you know, if there's other accommodations that would suit you when you came, when you came back to do that. Right. All right. So then Songkran, which is this epic, awesome, massive water fight. I mean, nothing like it, but I, I just love the massive water fight. But tell me about the ball, the little ball that we chased around. Yeah. So I had this super ball, uh, bouncy ball. Yeah. We had a few of them. We we found a machine that gave them out for like five baht or something, and we got. <laughs> well, I had one that I had been carrying in this video camera box for a really long time, and yeah, it was just one of the fun things that we did. We were walking on the bridge and, and bouncing it down, and it was coming up, and it. That was the best. That pedestrian bridge over a busy road that was closed because of Songkran. Just yeah. knocked it down there. It was, it was so much fun. Yeah, and it just kept defying the odds and coming back to us, you know? Like, there was this grate, and it didn't go down, and there was this other barrier that it somehow were actually hit just one of the pillars of and, and came back to us. And it, eventually, it, it it bounced off. And, then, you know, who knows where what it is today, whether it's still intact. But <laughs> it certainly had a very uh, amazing 15 minutes of fame. Yes, where are you now, bouncy ball? But yeah, I agree that, yes, eventually we lost it, but... It should have been lost so many times that day, and it just yeah. kept coming back. We kept finding it. <laughs> it really added another dimension to the the water fighting. You know, there's everybody's sh- shooting the water around, and then we had this ball that was uh, sounds a little bit lame, but uh, it was it was really fun. So all the little bounces <laughs> didn't. Uh... It was a highlight day of the big trip for sure. And you know, <laughs> what do I remember about it? I was walking around with Jay and Justin. We're all wet, and we had that ball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and that came on the heels of a of a crazy night um, that. Jay, I was recounting to you and Dan, you're well aware of, um, where, where uh, won't go into too much detail, but uh, it's probably the one of the closest times I came to death on, on the trip. Oh, you and me both. Um, you know, almost got pushed off a motorbike at high speed. <laughs> and and I remember that. So when, when we were catching up uh, uh, Justin a bit ago, I remember that because when you were talking about it and you were trying to remember, why weren't you with us that night, Jay? And I remember it was because I saw you that next morning. That's when I yeah. arrived. I went to your place and I, you know, knocked on one of your doors and we were getting together and you guys were trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle of what happened the night before. You're like, did that happen? Wait, this. And so I am seeing you guys after months. I'm in awe of this air conditioning and I think you had cable TV. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Also listening. Five bucks a night, man. <laughs> <laughs> also listening to you guys. Wait, while on the on the motorcycles, they were trying to hit us? <laughs> Something about a motorcycle chain swinging at you? Oh, yeah. I remember I remember it vividly. I'm sure Justin does too, but I, maybe we were. Uh, yeah, 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 I remember it. I might have been questioning Justin about how the altercation began because I, I wasn't really aware of it until I was suddenly within it. Yeah, I mean, your glasses got knocked off of a of a motorbike moving about fifty kilometers an hour. You know, <laughs> if you weren't if you weren't uh, into it before that, you certainly got a wake up call. Yeah, and those glasses were were swiped off my face by a hand. No, we almost died that night. I mean, we 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 easily could have been you know permanently maimed or died. I mean, that that was that was a real that was a real deal altercation that, that uh, was almost fight to the death. 
And, you know, then I wouldn't, I would have been wandering on Songkran alone that next day. So, you know, hey, it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. We lived, you got your companions. <laughs> well, we got a really good story out of it, too. Okay, okay, that's enough of that. You can go back to the Jay of 20 years ago. He's going, or I'm going, I, we are going to tell you about Laos now. I loved Laos. It's impossible to say which place is my favorite place or the best, as I've had such incredible and varied experiences in many countries. That said, at this moment, if someone caught me unawares, say, sneaking into my room and waking me in the middle of the night with a question, what's your favorite place? There's a good chance Laos would escape from my lips before I could say anything else. In spite of inadvertently visiting during the hottest month of the year, April is the hottest month of the year, and apparently the only one in Laos who didn't one way or another meet Matt Dillon, he was filming in Cambodia on, on holiday in Laos. I loved Laos. I know, I know. I can hear groans from here. After how much I raved and consequently typed about Indonesia, you're all hunkering down for another long haul. But I'll just give you a few bits and pieces. Though, isn't that what I said last time? And leave the rest unwritten. If you want to know, you gotta go. Slow boat to Luang Prabang. From the border town of Hue Shi, I traveled down the Mekong for two days to Luang Prabang. I was assured that though the small cargo boat was slow, only 20 passengers would be aboard, with plenty of room to stretch out, relax, and enjoy the beauty of the countryside. Waiting on the landing, I noticed far more than 20, closer to 40, waiting passengers, and one tiny boat, the floor of which was filled with dozens of 50-kilogram sacks of rice. Hopes that our boats hadn't arrived yet were dashed when we were all herded onto the single boat. Oh well, I sighed to another traveler. I guess we're all on the same boat. Pause for laughter. Anything for... Oh, pause again while you control your continued giggles. Anything for a picture. Outside of Long Prabang, there is a waterfall, and some others at my guest house were rounding up people to go to it one day. I was skeptical. Don't get me wrong, I now and forever love waterfalls, but in many places I've visited, locals have caught on that foreigners like waterfalls, and it seems every city, town, and hamlet advertises a must-see waterfall, half of which aren't much more impressive than the shower and the shared bath. These falls, however, were magnificent. A multi-tiered huge set of falls, Huangxi really did qualify as must-see. The turquoise pools of water were not only beautiful, but thoroughly refreshing, and the whole excursion was the perfect way to escape the heat. April is the hottest month of the year. After climbing to the uppermost tier and taking pictures frantically, some daring German decided to climb an overhanging branch and jump down into the pool below. I questioned the soundness of this idea, but since I had my camera in hand, I decided it was my responsibility to capture the act on film, regardless of the outcome. The leap was successful and the guy turned out all right, at which point I realized I now had a picture of someone else taking a jump. Do I want to be an observer of life or an active participant? Am I satisfied in the audience of life, or do I want to be performing on stage? Yada, yada, yada. Handing my camera to a Danish gentleman standing by, I made my way to the tree. For those of you who have been following along, I am insured again. Having spent my childhood in trees, I fancy myself a bit of a skilled climber and didn't expect the climb up the tree to be a challenge. In the event, the climb was more difficult than the jump. The mossy, wet tree provided little traction, and the weak handholds crumbled with each touch. My mother will be particularly happy to know that during this most difficult stretch, below me was not the wading pool of water, but the jagged rocks of the falls. 
Anywho, I inched my way out on the limb, stood up, let out a Banzai! cry, and leapt into the pool below. The jump itself, though a good six meters, was easy to make since the crowd was watching and the camera was waiting. No time to waste thinking about how far the drop was, uh, just let gravity do its job. The jump was quite a rush, and upon safely resurfacing, I was so glad I'd taken the plunge, as it were. The Danish guy yelled at me that I'd have to do it again because he couldn't take the picture. <laughs> Funny, I thought. Not an original joke, but it's kind of the one you have to say. Climbing out of the pool, I realized he was serious. A local Lao man, who apparently was eager to see the silly foreigner hurl himself out of a tree, had been standing in the way of the photographer and me, and he wouldn't get out of the way. That's okay, I told my Danish photographer. I made the jump, and I'm satisfied with that. I did it for myself, and I really don't need a picture to prove anything to anyone. Really? he asked. <sighs> no, not really. And I made my way back to the tree. By this time, everyone seemed to be jumping on, or off the bandwagon, so I had to first wait for a girl from New York whom I'd been traveling with to make her jump. As I said before, the climb was more challenging than the drop, but it wasn't until I saw someone else do it that I thought, oh my god, I did that? And the shake set in. Still, I did climb again, I confirmed the cameraman was ready, and tempted fate again. Anything for a picture, eh? So how does this little bit finish? Well, the pictures have since been developed, and for reasons I can only begin to explain, instead of a picture of my death-defying, or at least great and agonizing pain and injury-defying leap, instead of all that, I have a partial snapshot of a Danish man's feet. Hmm. So is it back to Luang Prabang for a third jump and picture? Not necessary. The picture I took of the guy who pioneered the jump kind of looks enough like me that I can suppose that's just a picture of me. Who will ever know? Oh, uh, maybe you should forget I mentioned that last part. It's a small world. Outside the small town of Vang Vieng, there are numerous caves, and liking caves myself, I went out to go and see some. It wasn't a long trek over the river and through the rice fields to the limestone cliffs, but it took me quite some time to get there, stopping every few steps to let out a series of expletives and curses, often involving some religious figure on a popsicle stick, and totally unable to articulate with any grace and eloquence just how incredible and beautiful my surroundings were. I developed a routine which went as follows. Come to a dead dramatic stop. Say something along the lines of holy, insert female relative, insert popular expletive, insert first name of prominent religious deity's son, insert another expletive, insert last name of prominent religious deity's son, on a, you have a choice here, repeat previously uttered expletive, or, use the British term bloody, popsicle stick, insert previously unused expletive, and then finally, one more curse for good measure, this is so, insert previously used and a few unused curses, beautiful. Take out camera, take several pictures, realize what a waste it was knowing my snapshots could not capture it all with any justice, put my camera away, pull it out again, figuring I may as well have a few with me in the shot, put the camera on an abandoned hut, run out to a chosen spot, press the remote control, moments before it clicks, realize I'm probably a bit too low in the picture, jump up into the air just as the shutter goes, laugh at what an idiot I am for taking such a lame photo, but immediately do it again, perhaps to do it better, put camera away, begin my walk again, determined to get to my destination, take a few steps, repeat the entire routine above. In the midst of one of these sessions, I found an unopened bottle of drinking water in front of me. Still cold, I knew it must have been dropped by someone recently, so I picked it up, figuring I was bound to run into whomever it was that dropped it. 
Having long ago lost track of the hand-painted signs directing me to the caves, I continued my way, giving the roaming herd of water buffalo plenty of room. Everyone says they're not so bright, but I decided to give them credit that it may not take long before they figured out they had such large numbers they could easily overtake me and my found water bottle. At last, I saw two foreigners on mountain bikes, figuring it likely that a bottle of water could fall unnoticed from one on a bike, and them being the only two foreigners around, I headed in their direction, thinking I may have found the rightful owners of the water bottle. No job skill. Problem solving. Approaching the couple, I hope they were thinking, gee, I hope someone finds and returns our water bottle, and not, at last, we're finally away from all those cursed other travelers, finally alone, and... Anyway, as I approached, I said, hey, are you by any chance missing a bottle of water? The girl responded in the affirmative and was quite grateful. April is the hottest month of the year. She was very surprised at my deducing it was theirs and returning it to them. I wasn't surprised by this, my brilliant detective mind easily solving the mystery of the missing water bottle. But I was surprised when the guy asked, Are you Jay? Did you teach English in Japan? Whoa. James, the man attached to the voice, had taught English in the town next to me in Japan. It's a small world was the tune of the day, momentarily displacing Scorpion's rhythm of love. Let us find together the beat we're looking for. Wow, beautiful, number one. The three of us spent the morning hiking around the fields, exploring a number of caves and sweating more than I previously had imagined was possible. April is the hottest month of the year. The views were stunning. I toned down my cursing commentary and made it suitable for family viewers, but we all suffered a similar fate, stopping every few paces just to stare about and comment on the land. The caves, too, were spectacular in their form, but also in the way they're just there, everywhere, ready to explore. Of course, the locals have caught on, and there's bound to be someone at every cave selling an entrance ticket, but then it's just up to you to wander in and get lost, hurt, injured, dead on your own. It's really a freedom that's hard to come by in many countries these days. So we wander deep into the caves, and again we're in awe of our beautiful, though darker, surroundings. And we sweated profusely. April is the hottest month of the year. In one cave, we did have a guide. In part because it's so large, you can go in two to three kilometers, and in the wet season you can swim inside the cave, and also to point out all the beautiful formations. Now, caves around the world will often have some neat bits which resemble something else and are kind of cool to see. This cave, too, had a snake's head, an elephant, and a flower, for example. But in this case, the guide went a bit overboard, and we found ourselves stopping every two steps as our guide pointed out another one. As we went on, some of them took more stretches of the imagination or just became absurd. And over here is the rabbit's cheek. And look, a butterfly's butt. I admit I did think the toilet bowl was amusing and spot on, but in other cases I would have just been satisfied with the nameless yet attractive formations. Our guide, bless his heart, was able to direct us through all of this with very limited English vocabulary. At each stop, he would shine his torch at the object of our attention and give us a and give its title, Donkey's Thumb, and enthusiastically say, Wow, beautiful number one, in such a way to not only make us believe it was actually one word, but also to impress upon the joy and emotion we should be feeling at viewing such a thing. We would generally be quite amazed, but just as soon as it was starting to sink in, our guide would be off with a, Let's go! We did get a bit more out of the guide than the average foreigner, I'd imagine, as James, now teaching English outside of Bangkok, could speak some Thai, which is similar to Lao. 
I told him I was impressed with his tie abilities, and he was equally impressed with my ability to trek through the fields, climb rocks, and navigate the caves all in my flip-flops. We all have our skills, I guess. Note job skill. Able to successfully navigate a variety of fields with minimal support. Reaching our turnaround point, the cave continued on for another kilometer, and this was as far as we were going to go. We reached our final amazing formation. The guide, laughing, asked if I could identify the very phallic-looking formation in front of us. Gesturing to me and mine, a little too close for comfort, I dare say, he laughed, and how about you? What could I say? Wow, beautiful, number one. Go with the flow. Those of you who managed to read my last update will remember my tubing experience in Sumatra. In Vang Vieng, I once more hopped in a tube and rode down the river. Only in Laos, this was a very different experience. First, there weren't nearly as many Indonesians around. Second, unlike the wild whitewater adventure in Sumatra, well, it's dry season. April is also the hottest month of the year. So the river's low and very slow. So it took five to ten minutes up the road by tuk-tuk, took three hours of drifting downriver. Yes, that last sentence was a mess, with two tuks and a tuk-tuk. Not that it was an unpleasant experience. While I would have enjoyed an adrenaline-rushing event, remember, I'm insured again, the slow drift downriver was a great way to sit back, relax, and watch the world go by. Or perhaps it was watching me go by, I can't really say. In many ways, tubing in Vang Vieng was much like Laos in general. It forces you to slow down and relax, and just enjoy what's around you. Sure, it's possible to rush through the country, as I originally intended to do, but I got a ton more out of it when I let myself drift on Laos time, soaking it all up. I'm sensing I'm about to relate all of this to a way of living and enjoying life and greater and larger things, so I'd better wrap this up and just say, I recommend everyone float down the river in an inner tube. I also recommend sunscreen. Youch! Homecoming King So it's May, and I'm in Bangkok, having just returned from two weeks in Laos. Why is this important? Because it's not June, which it would have been had I stuck to an earlier plan, keeping me another two weeks exploring Thailand and 30 days in Laos. Again, why is this important? My plane arrives in Los Angeles May 28th. But you'll hear from me before then. Oh, yes, you will. Gotta run. Perhaps because of my impending homecoming and my great expectations for the future, I'm reading Dickens' novel of the same name. Great expectations, not impending homecoming. And I've just got to get back and see what the devil's in store for Pip next. Jay. Can someone pick me up at the airport? Schneider. Can anyone guess the song that's stuck in my head now? Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. Sorry for making it so long again, but the series is almost over, so enjoy it while you can. I just realized that the Super Bowl that Dan and Justin and I bounced all over the wild and wet streets of Chiang Mai, the one which defied all odds and kept returning to us no matter how far we bounced it nor how crowded and chaotic the streets were, yeah, that bouncy ball, that was my Swiss couple. Episode 11, Annapurna Palooza. Check it out. So whether it's Super Bowls or Swiss couples, throughout this series I've talked about chance encounters unexpectedly running into people at a place and time that seems like it would be hard to coordinate with planning, let alone just leaving it up to chance. Again, it's one thing if you run into a friend at the grocery store when you live in the same town, but a whole other experience when it's in a third country. 
I've talked about running into Mike and Adrian at Durbar Square in Kathmandu, and then Adrian years later when she happened to be attending a class I was teaching in Arlington, Virginia, and maybe my running into Andreas and Joke Jakarta at the guest house. I mean, it could have been less surprising because we we're in the same country, but still, the timing of us crossing paths was sure a special bit of synchronicity. And some of those examples are when running into people unexpectedly was almost exactly what I needed in those moments. Though my time in Laos was incredible, and I was happily and contentedly exploring the country solo, I must say my encounter in the middle of a Laotian rice field with James, a British guy who I'd known from teaching English in Japan, well, that took me by surprise. And it made for an even better afternoon. Wow, sometimes it really is about the people. Hmm. Maybe Honey Roasted T-shirts could make a whole podcast series on chance encounters. Hmm. Some of you may remember Jessica from Episode 7. Check it out. She was my good mate and partner in crime from my first year in Japan, and with whom I took my first trip to Thailand. After she left Japan, we had limited contact and didn't really keep in touch. So you can imagine my shock years later, when one day while riding in a crowded elevator in a relatively small office building where I worked in Virginia, I heard someone call my name. Jay? It was Jessica. We hadn't seen each other in years. I had no idea she was in the region, let alone doing work in the same building. Yeah, I'd better get on that new podcast. Guess I need something to do after this story winds down. But back to Northern Thailand and Laos. So, as I mentioned in my email, I really didn't have any interest in doing the Chiang Mai jungle trek. This was for a number of reasons. One, it's really geared towards short-term vacationer and tourists whereas I felt I was a seasoned traveler. I'd been on the road nine months, traveling hard. I'd trekked through the Annapurna mountain range for 20 days. I'd stayed in the homes of people I genuinely befriended and formed real connections with. Riding an elephant through the jungle is more like a pony ride, and I'd done it years ago. And I even shared my experience and thoughts on that earlier in the series. Episode 5, check it out. To be fair, I understand the value of some of these packaged variety sampler tours. Someone passing through a country may be short on time or have no other connection to learn and experience a culture. So these are ways to do that. I had been on the road for months and had the luxury of time, so I didn't need to cram many activities into a short period. And in the case of Chiang Mai, I felt I already knew Thailand pretty well. In my journey, I'd done some deep and impactful experiences, and, well, I just figured this type of tour wouldn't compare. Anyway, you may remember my conversation with Dan. Episode 9, check it out when he said one of the parts of travel he enjoyed most was meeting and talking with other travelers. This is so true. Dan told this to me 20 years ago and convinced me that the jungle trek might be a fun experience. And you know what? It was. The people I met, well, we had a great time. We spent some good days together, shared an experience, laughed at ourselves as we rode down the river on a bamboo raft. Okay, riding down that raft was awesome. And we had a blast. Yeah, the trekking through the jungle was really just a pleasant hike. But hey, I like hiking in the outdoors, and the Thai jungles are beautiful. Staying with the family for the night was really quite transactional and nothing like spending two or three weeks in a village, but still, I got to see a slice of life of a hill tribe family. So yeah, I guess it all goes back to purpose and what you want to get out of an experience. Also, I was coming to the end of my trip, and I was actually trying to change my mindset and behavior. Knowing I was in my final weeks on the road, I, I entered Laos with a bit of urgency and the goal of treating it like I was on a two-week holiday. See as much as I can in 14 days, the length of my visa. See the sights, do the things, cover as much territory as possible. Time to pick up the pace. But I just couldn't do it. In Vang Vieng, I remember thinking I'd stay for one night, maybe two, but I just couldn't leave. 
The same thing happened everywhere I went in Laos. I just couldn't rush through it. In spite of my attempts to use my limited remaining time as a driver, I just couldn't do it. I think the few hours I spent slowly floating down a Laotian river in that inner tube was one heck of a metaphor. Sometimes you ride the rapids, and sometimes you just slowly float and savor every moment. I'd like to add that to the list of must-dos in life. Ride on top of a Nepali bus, start a J-pop band on a dare, see the sunrise at Angkor Wat, and yeah, slowly ride down the river in an inner tube. Though, to be honest, maybe not at Vang Vieng. I'll confess, as much as I've built an attachment to all the places I've visited in my travels, I don't necessarily keep up with all of them, keeping them frozen in my mind as they were 20 years ago. As I was preparing this episode and doing a bit of fact verification, I told you guys I do double-check things as much as possible, even my own journal notes. Well, I decided to look up Vang Vieng, one of the towns I just couldn't bring myself to leave, and the place where I explored the caves and floated down the river. Well... The photos online were disappointing, and it looked like a spring break party central. Pictures of a crowded river filled with river floaters, drinks in hand, and built-up crowded docks and zip lines. Apparently it's become quite a party destination, and there's regular deaths from drunk tourists hurling themselves into the water. Yeah, to be honest, if that had been the scene 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have stayed so long. Speaking of so long... It was this point in my trip I was preparing to say so long, not only to Laos, but to Southeast Asia and actually the life I'd been fully living. In case you missed it, when I got back to Bangkok, I purchased my ticket back to the States. I had a date, I had a deadline, an expiration. The clock was ticking much like this show. That's right, folks. We are almost done. So how about stopping by honeyroastedtshirts.com and picking up some JLUT Club souvenirs, stickers, magnets, pins, postcards, and even a membership kit. It won't cost you much, and it sure helps support this project. Plus, you can sign up for Honey Roasted T-shirts mailing list. Make sure we keep in touch and you are kept up to date on all Honey Roasted T-shirt projects. Clearly, I'm developing a list of recommendations for what my next project might be. Other things you can do? Follow the JLUT Club on Instagram. And of course, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. If you listen to this podcast, or if you've read the emails or visited the blog, or maybe you're Matt Dillon, well, you just might be a member of the JLUT Club. you for staying tuned to journal extras i actually have a a new journal book uh, my third of the trip though i had uh, some other notebooks i would write in if i was writing some songs or poems or just other notes uh this was my third official journal my taiwan indonesia journal had wrapped up so now i have this nice uh, it's very colorful and fabric covered with a bunch of elephants on it so i must have picked it up in thailand Uh, and i have a little picture called it Thailand Laos sandwich because I was in Thailand, then in Laos, then back in Thailand. So let's read it. Bangkok, April 5th through 8th. Back in Bangkok after a minibus, wait four hours, another bus because I couldn't take a train. Tried looking for a new guest house, but, but I didn't like the rooms and they were pretty pricey at 400 baht. So back to good old hello guest house. 
New staff, otherwise the same old, same old. Of course, I make my obligatory trip to the safety deposit box and, and get some film developed. Gather a bunch of my goods and ship it back to the U.S. Still have a lot of stuff, though. I'm really enjoying Bangkok. It has been almost three months since I've been here. I want to book a train to Chiang Mai, but as the holidays are approaching, things are fully booked. But when I ask about first class, they have availability. Oh, this is a little awkward. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah, that's the, the last entry in my journal. I guess uh, my final uh, four to six, I guess my final six weeks on the road, I uh, got a little bit lazy with writing. <laughs> oh, that's a little awkward. Um, well, good thing we're almost done with this journal extras thing. I only have one more episode left because I don't have anything else for my journal to share. I did do a lot of writing in my final time in uh, Thailand, or final time on my trip. I guess I didn't do as much journaling as other types of writing as I was shifting to transition. So I do apologize for that. Um, speaking of apologies, what I can share with you is my apology to Matt Dillon. I was going to send him a little voice message through social media. Um, and uh, you know what? Why don't you share that moment with me? Okay, let's do this here. I don't know. Da, da, da. All right, message. <clears throat> hey, Matt Dillon, this is Jay Schneider. Uh, this is a 20-year-old apology. We were in Laos together, I believe, Luang Prabang, and I know you were trying to connect with me and we just didn't make it happen. I want to apologize for that uh, deeply and say I'm sorry, man, and uh, you are an official member of the j -Luck Club. Just want you to know that. The j Podcast.com. Check it out for more. Uh, and yeah, sorry I, I was too busy to connect with you 20 years ago. Hope we can catch up again someday. All right, take care, buddy. Thank you, as always, for staying tuned to Journal Extras. You know, I'm almost... Dun, dun, dun.